Yeah, I, I partied very hard in Los Angeles. <laughs> well, that's the place to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Matter of fact, I had a presentation in Vermont about a week and a half ago. And for some reason, I put a picture of myself and Mike Tyson and like a few friends at a party when we just did shrooms. Like it was actually <laughs> during us having shrooms uh, and we're just tripping out. And I'll send you, I'll like show you the picture if you want to see it or if you want to include so, it. So hold on, because you're telling us you did shrooms with Mike Tyson? Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Because that's pretty awesome. I I saw his like one man show that he had on HBO. Oh, 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 okay, so he did it in California, in Hollywood, off of Hollywood Boulevard. That's when I actually saw that show. Uh -huh. So that's the reason why I was even in the vicinity of Mike Tyson is that's because so he did wild. that show. After that show, I got backstage because my friend was like working with him in this cartoon that they were making together. Mm -hmm. I go backstage. I introduce myself as Zeus. He's like, "What Poseidon was already taken." <laughs> <laughs> like right off the bat, I'm like Poseidon. Poseidon. Yeah, That's like, like so funny to get an ego check from Mike Tyson. From Mike Tyson, yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, like you know, within a you know a couple hours, we're like doing shrooms, chilling out. That's so funny. That's such a wild connection. I didn't know that part of your story. That's cool. Yeah, that was the same evening where he did his show in Hollywood. And also, as I'm like walking up to like hang out with him to talk to him, I walk past Stevie Wonder walking the opposite direction. I'm like, what? Are you Stevie Wonder right there? <laughs> like, how did this even happen? And then behind him was um the guy who played urkel uh um oh shit jaleel white jaleel white thank yeah. you so much he was also there i'm like wow this is amazing you're listening to the tripsitter podcast where we demystify substances break down the science behind them and discuss the crazy world of psychedelic culture like having a tripsitter watch over your experience our goal is to provide guidance and support in preparation for your psychedelic journey now sit back relax and enjoy the trip I'm Rowan Zioli, a contributor for TripSitter. I'm Justin, founder, editor, and chief of TripSitter. And I'm James, also a contributor with TripSitter. And today we are joined by our first ever return guest, first friend of the show to be on the show, mm -hmm. Zeus Tapato. I was going to do a little bit more of an introduction, but then I realized that your name rhymed nicely with it, so I just wanted to flow right into it. <laughs> That's perfect. Yeah, no, thank you for having me back. I feel very happy and honored. The last time we talked, I was in Paris after I destroyed my laptop. <laughs> <laughs> on your birthday. Oh, yeah. On my birthday. On yeah. my birthday, yeah. But uh, today I am here with a fantastic laptop, and uh, everything's good so far. No destruction yet, you know? <laughs> yeah. There's still yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> still time. We wanted to bring you back when you didn't necessarily have anything coming out, just so we could talk to you more about you. Because I feel like a lot of times you have so much cool shit that you're working on that you like mention little one-off things about your personal life or journey to where you're at. <laughs> that it's just like, wow, I would love to spend a whole episode on that. So <laughs> yeah, kind of wanted to see if you could maybe walk us through a little bit of your experience kind of transitioning into the world of science, now being a neurological researcher through a very unique way. Yeah, no, thank Thank you for giving me that opportunity. And yeah, man, my path to science was a pretty interesting one. It was, I mean, it was almost forced out of my own lack of understanding of reality. What do I mean by that? So, okay. Um, the beginning, right? <laughs> the beginning, the big bang. Yeah. Going way back. Going way back in the All day. All the way back. It's dark. Yeah. It's wet. Dark. It's dark. <laughs> so, uh, 
and then I, and then I appear. So I was born in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So it's a it's pretty. I mean, you guys have heard of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. It's, it's not that. Yeah. yeah. I was born there, and it's a pretty fun place to be. The food's fantastic. Uh, culture's good. Jazz is good. Mm. But I mean, I was born in a culture that is so unconventional. Creole voodoo was my culture. You know, most mm. people have a very Christian background. They understand who a God is, Jesus, Moses. I didn't really have that understanding as a kid. I understood that there was this reality right here, and there was some other reality that had control over this reality through things like possessions and incantations, mm. sacrifices, curses. And that's just how I understood my own reality. My family had people that would come over, my aunts, uncles, they would get like possessed and they would bring information into this world from the other realm and it would like help solve problems in the community. So that's how I understood my reality. That's everything. That's how I understood every single thing. And then when I was eight, my dad got a job in Texas. Mm. So we all moved to Texas, and then I was like, oh, wait, who's this Jesus guy? You know, these... That had to be the biggest culture shock. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I went from, like, you know, voodoo to just giant churches and mega churches and roadside baptisms oh, and all yeah. this stuff. And, you know, this guy on the cross, and everyone's talking about him. Billboards on the highway with him on the cross dying, too. Yeah, bill, <laughs> billboards on the highway. That's startling if you don't know what that is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, it's definitely intense. Texas, but like all of these things, like have you found Jesus or G you know Jesus is after you? And I'm like, well, what's happening here? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus is after guy? you. <laughs> yeah, like all, all these very aggressively placed advertisements for a religion, which is something that was like <laughs> blew me away as a kid. And so, you know, gone were the days of my Creo voodoo upbringing. It was just, just Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. So yeah, man, I was really confused as a kid. So I clung on to something that just had some type of objective truth, something that can be tested and measured. So I went to science mm. to sort of like understand what all this is about, what reality is about, what physics are about everything really small questions you know yes. nothing yeah. too yeah. big yeah exactly yeah, yeah can you think of like a moment that you think of as like that turning point where you first started down that path or did it I mean, just kind of like all happen actually yeah I, I, I do know for sure when i was i think in sixth grade i entered a science fair for the first time mm -hmm. and i got first place oh wow that's cool yeah yeah. So sixth grade, how you had been in Texas for I guess like five so years or so. I was in Texas for like three years, maybe. Okay. No, yeah, like three years because I think I think I was eleven in sixth grade. Is that sounds that right? Sound, yeah. 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 So that was the beginning. But when I was in high school, I got second place in like regionals for science, which is pretty good. I mean, it's pretty mm -hmm. decent. Yeah. So that was like, oh, you know, there's something there. I I could definitely go towards this path, yeah, that's right? Cool. Yeah, so uh, I finished high school and then I went to Tucson, Arizona, University of Arizona to go to college fantastic place to be like it was amazing i majored in psychology i was researching at this animal laboratory i had an internship at this other laboratory just learning stuff researching stuff everything was going fantastic my entire life was fantastic and then i was at a party and my friend gave me five grams 
of drive shrooms. You were just at a party? I was at a party. That's the right time to take five grams of mushrooms. Five grams of dried shrooms. I was a sophomore, beginning my sophomore year. And people told me that you have to like experiment in college, right? That's what mm. everyone tells you. You have to experiment. So I did experiment, you know? That's what I did. I'm like, okay, five grams of shrooms. I didn't even understand what shrooms were. I didn't even have a complete understanding or any understanding of what shrooms entailed or did to your body or your brain. Mm. I just did it. I took I took five grams of shrooms at a college party in Arizona. Straight into the deep end. Yeah. Straight into the deep end. No life jacket. <laughs> no, yeah, no life jacket. Can't even like swim, just alien to me. Yeah. And I ate every single bit in that plastic bag with the blue sort of like seal label. And so how did that go for you? Yeah, how was that? Yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah. I'll describe the party. The party was your like typical college party. People were playing beer pong in the kitchen, hanging outside, chilling out, dancing, whatever. And I I took it and I waited. I'm like, nothing's happening. Uh, this is, I'm perfectly fine. I'm doing good. I'm doing great. <laughs> and then everyone turned into these colorful clouds of body parts, mm -hmm. like a amorphous collection of body parts that articulated themselves in ways that I didn't really understand. Like the whole idea of structure of a body just sort of dissipated. And all I saw were colorful interpretations of objects and shapes and shifting Everyone turned into that. And I was like, whoa, okay. <laughs> and then I recognized the idea of beer pong happening in the kitchen, and I couldn't understand why people were doing that. <laughs> You're like, just drink. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, it seems so absurd that beer pong would even be happening. Like, why? Just drink. Why are what's you... What's the point? Yeah, what's the point? Why are you preventing yourself from ultimately doing what you want to do? And then the conversations just were absolutely nonsensical conversations. Like, <laughs> but I couldn't discern any conversation. It just seemed like a person was just typing on a keyboard, like <laughs> space. Yeah. And so everything inside that party didn't really make any sense. And I didn't really want to spend the time and the energy to have it make sense. It was mm. too much effort. I just had to sit down outside, a little bit isolated from everybody. I found a picnic chair, the ones that are like foldable with the little cup holders. And I, I sat mm. down and my friend Sarah, who I'm still friends with, must have sensed my like existential crisis that I was going through. <laughs> and she like gives me a little massage on my shoulders. She doesn't really talk to me. And I look up and I saw her face, which is like the only face that I really recognized. And she mm. just gave me a little massage on my neck and my shoulders. And of course, everyone knows that if you get a massage while you're like on anything, it's like the greatest <laughs> thing ever, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible. It doesn't matter what you're on. MDMA, LSD. Sober a massage sounds <laughs> yeah. great. Sober, actually. yeah. A sober massage <laughs> sounds amazing. So when she gave me this massage, of course, it felt great. And I, and I just like sort of put my head up like this and I looked up. In this Tucson starry sky, just black, empty sky. And then I saw a entity okay. appear mm. in yeah. the sky. This giant entity. It must have been like the size of a six-story building. Mm. Was it like humanoid? It was humanoid in the sense that I could tell that it had arms and legs. But as far as the actual structure of this being, this entity... It's so difficult to, to describe these very complex trips in, like, the 26 characters we have in the English language. It's <laughs> yeah. just... Or any language. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Any language. All right. Imagine a person wrapped in black and white ribbons that don't obey the laws of physics. Mm. They're almost like arms floating in the sky, just covered in black and white ribbons. Mm. And imagine that that person, instead of being covered in that, they're composed of that. They're crafted from that, made of this black and white ribbon. 
but the arms and legs were moving slow, but these ribbons were floating in the sky, but the sort of body movement was very slow. And I can tell that this thing, this entity, I was looking at it, it was looking at me. There was a connection there that I couldn't really discern. And, like, I was there for a while, and I described the entire entity to my friend Sarah, and she just kept on massaging me. She's like, fantastic friend, <laughs> still is. And so, like, needless to say, that experience changed the course of my entire life. Yeah, wow. and, a lot of people, when they have these kind of, like, visuals in psychedelic trips hmm. and they see entities, they're, like, influenced either by things they've heard in the past, like the whole meme effect mm. of Terrence McKenna, yeah. or, like, if they grew up in a very religious background, they see a lot of religious imagery. Is mm -hmm. there any connection to your bringing in Creole voodoo or anything like that that would indicate this entity? Yeah, so in Creole voodoo, there's this sort of belief that there are certain spirits, mysteries is what we call them, that essentially inhabit people. But it isn't just like, you know, you're out at Albertsons and all of a sudden you get inhabited. It's a very ritualistic thing in the sense that a elder that understands these realms, they're sitting down and they have to have different items by them, depending on what entity wants to inhabit them. For example, there's one entity where you have to have a top hat, whiskey, and a cane, mm -hmm. and like some, like paper. And you have to have those items, like by the person. And this entity doesn't always connect, but if they do connect, what they say, it's because of these items. So when that happens, this very elaborate physical process happens where a person contorts their body almost like that same contortion that I saw in the sky when I was tripping. Wow. Very, very similar. This slow contortion, and then all of a sudden this person is this entity or this god or mystery. So as far as having the religious influence applied to an actual trip, I believe believe yes that is a thing the concept of having priors like your background your culture anything like traumatic happening to you those are all things that can definitely be incorporated within a trip and it's such a complex thing i was talking to a dude today tobias he's a professor he was at imperial college london now he's living in germany fantastic scientist but we talked about this today we talked about how priors are so complex that for example, if you're trying to get a person to trip a certain way by doing things like visual long-term potentiation, which is basically like showing them a visual over and over again, you can influence part of a person's trip. At least we think so. And that's what we're doing here. But to influence the entire trip is so difficult because every person has their own priors, their own upbringing, religious background, abuse, whatever. And all of this is somehow incorporated within an actual trip. So um, long answer short. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. I, I believe that definitely was incorporated into my trip. So back to the trip. Freaking intense. Amazing. I'm blown away. I'm blown away. The next day, that's all I'm thinking about. The very next day after that, that's all I'm thinking about. On Tuesday, that's all I'm thinking about. No kidding. Yeah, that's reasonable, I think. Yeah, yeah. I think probably for <laughs> yeah. many days. Still today, right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah still, still, still today, yeah. So, and the party was on like Saturday. So on Wednesday, and I'm going to class, you know, I was trying to do my class and I'm still like, man, what the heck was that? So I just added a second bachelor's to my entire workforce. <laughs> 
<laughs> in religion. Oh, really? That's, That's wild. Okay, yeah, because yeah. I was majoring in psychology, and that was good, but it felt like this very intense psychedelic experience can only be explained and understood if I combined psychology and religion. Like, mm. So did I come close to understanding what a trip was after you know incorporating theology and religion? Because keep in mind, up until this point, I was super sciencey. I'm like, science, science, science. And then this very extreme subjective experience, it didn't bring me back to my Creo voodoo roots, but it did make me curious about the whole process of religion mm. and how these things are adopted and experienced. So did it help me? I can tell you from that point on, it made every trip that I had even weirder. <laughs> <laughs> Go on. Yeah, yeah. What was the next trip, actually? <laughs> I'm happy you asked about that. So, yeah, that was around, like, the fall. My next trip was maybe, like, after the whole Christmas break, you know? Mm. The classes were amazing, but I had this one class, Hindu mysticism. It was a uh, Hindu 305 at the uh, University of Arizona, if anyone has that. But you learn about mysticism, not religion, mm. mysticism, which is a completely different understanding. There's Christian mysticism, Judaic mysticism, which is incredible. Mm. Hindu mysticism, which is incredible. So I tell people that there's religion and then there's mysticism. Mysticism is like, wow. Anyway, so Hindu mysticism, I had this class. And I'm not sure if you guys know about Hindu mysticism, but Hindu mysticism, it's probably the single most sci-fi religion-ish thing that I've ever seen. Like, and this is old, old stuff. They're talking about like entire peoples traveling through the galaxy and like spaceships yeah. going from planet to planet and intergalactic battles happening in space and then how time is constructed in these giant people periods of time and how it's like on the back of like an animal like what is happening right so anyways going to the trip that I'm about to tell you about I took LFC for the first time and of course I didn't take only one tab <laughs> of course not that of course not yeah. so I took 10 tabs <laughs> yeah. I took 3 tabs oh of the LSD wow. what yeah I looking back on it like what was I doing well and this is in your earlier college days so I'm guessing this is not lab grade oh no no way. I mean... Potentially, like, very strong, too. <laughs> exactly. Very, very strong. I'm not even sure where I got... Oh, I... Oh, my gosh. Okay. I, I got the... <laughs> yeah, drop the name real quick. Who was your supplier? <laughs> so, at this... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I was I was working at this place in Tucson, Arizona. Magpie's Pizza. It was a gourmet pizza place. And I worked with this dude who gave me the LSD. Nice guy. Yeah. Nice guy, yeah. And we got high after work. It was insane. And there's some other stories too that I could probably tell you about, but I'm not going to do it right now. That'll be the third time I'll hop on. Perfect. <laughs> Side tracks and side stories with Zeus to Yeah. <laughs> Start a disclaimer after disclaimer. The stories that I tell you the third time, don't do them at all. <laughs> but anyways, so I got the LSD from, from this guy, and I, once again, party at my place. LSD, let's try it out in college. You did it at a party again? Again. I don't know why. There, there was no sort of understanding of maybe I should just go to the forest or go to the desert. No. I was like, party, let's do LSD. And yeah. I did it. And I remember we were sort of hanging out in my living room. Where we had sofas set up. So the party was outside, inside, taking LSD. And then all of a sudden, 
Mm-hmm. It got really intense, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to describe something to you guys, and I'm sure you've experienced this, but the physics of colors got bouncy. Okay. Mm-hmm. In the sense that how this pink is on this shirt, the pink on the shirt usually stays on the shirt. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, I hear you. But, you know, it was like, just bouncy. So at that point, I was Mm. completely overwhelmed. So I just went to my room very quietly. I don't want anyone to know that I'm tripping too hard, obviously. Mm -hmm. Keep in mind, this... The same party, my roommate Zepp, who lives in Brooklyn now. Zepp and Zeus? What a great <laughs> dude. <I know. laughs> Zepp, Zepp and Zeus. He, That's he, a he's straight a, up sitcom. Straight up sitcom. Zepp and Zeus. Well, he, at the same party, he took seven grams of shrooms. Wow. What? You had some weird parties. <laughs> God. Completely weird parties. So we were at a renaissance festival a few hours before he found this giant sword before we were tripping bought it wasted all of his like rent to just buy this giant (laughs) sword i thought you meant like on a ground not like at a merchant (laughs) but yeah not not like on the ground no he purchased a a sword and he brought it back and he took the shrooms before i took the lsd and all i remember is when he began to peek he took the sword uh-huh. He slowly walked to his front door and he hacked down his entire front door with a sword <laughs> until there was a hole in his front door. Okay. And then he climbed inside of this hole, which led to his bedroom. Yeah. He's going through a portal. He's going through a portal. And then he just fell asleep. That's it. <laughs> just went to bed. Giant hole in his door. The most yeah. boring version of The Shining. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just passes out on the other side. Just passes out. That's it. Of course, he could have just opened the door and just done the same thing. No, radical open door policy. <laughs> exactly. When you have a sword, you have to just hack down a hole and you just climb yeah. through it. And just he slept, I think, until like the very next day. I, I didn't see him for a while. I think that's kind of wild, too. I've never heard of someone being able to pass out on mushrooms like that. I, yeah. Well, seven <laughs> grams of shrooms. Yeah, I guess, I, I guess. I've never taken seven grams. So. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. That's so yeah, five was the highest. Aspect. But so somehow I'm like, oh, let me take this LSD. <laughs> now that that's over. <laughs> yeah, now that that's over. Now, now that Zep's in bed, you know, sh- sh- actually Zep is awesome. I hope he hears this. But as for myself, yeah, it was so overwhelming. There was some like energy in that party that I just needed to get away from, you know. Mm-hmm. So I-, I went to my room and I just locked my door. And I was sitting down on the floor. And of course it was a college like room. So it was just crap everywhere, clothes yeah. everywhere. But there was a book within my vicinity. Have you heard of this book called The Rig Veda? Yeah. 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 Maybe give a, a brief overview of it. Yeah. So the so the Rig Veda is a is a huge text. The sort of authentic version is giant, like I think twenty thousand pages. Wow. But it's essentially the Hindu mystical text of the beginning of reality and what happened up until this point. It tells you how to determine what time periods we're in, and it even tells you how everything will ultimately end. Mm. Of course, just like a giant circle and. It keeps them around, but it's filled with amazing stories. And this version that I had had a depiction of a scene of the Rig Veda on the cover. And so let me just give you a little background. There's this giant battle happening between this family from this like planet and this other group of families from this other planet. And it's a giant battle. It's a battle where like the 
consequence could be the end of like everything. It's a giant battle and it's happening in space. And all of a sudden, Shiva, which is a very, not deceptive, but a very tricky entity who has the ability to change shape. And usually Shiva is depicted as like a blue being. And then she appears in between this entire battle and then freezes time, freezes time so that this battle won't happen so that the rest of humanity and the rest of existence can, can you know, keep on going on. Freezes time. So as I'm on LSD, I'm looking at this cover, <laughs> looking at this scene of the Rig Veda, and all of a sudden, I'm inside the scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm inside the battle. I see the people. I'm floating in space. I see Shiva right there. I see time frozen. Mm. I'm inside of it. And that experience was the most virtualized experience that I've ever had in my entire mm. life. It was almost like yeah. I could taste the fire in the air in this scene. And it was only cut short by my friend knocking on my door. Zeus, Zeus, With Zeus, Zeus. Sword. John, <laughs> yeah. no, it was my friend was asking me if I had a keg tap. That's so <laughs> real. It's like when someone pulls you out of a great dream or something yeah. and you're like, no. <laughs> you're like, I am in another moment in time. I do not have a keg tap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah, why would I like have a keg tap like in my room? Like, what's the point? I don't. Yeah, time has frozen. Yeah, I don't I'm like, know. guys. Yeah, time is frozen. I'm in a huge battle. What is a keg tap? Yeah. Well, I see two really cool like ramp ups to your life now in these first two trip stories. First of all, I would imagine some of the things that you've done that you would consider to be some of the most fun are also some of the boldest psychedelic taking experiences ever. Like taking five grams of shrooms at E3, RuPaul, yeah. DragCon? Or... DragCon, RuPaul's yeah. DragCon. Yeah, Amazing yeah, yeah. event. On however much LSD it was, it was a lot, I remember. But... It was two hits of LSD and an entire infused joint. Wow. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so, it was... so we're going to have to break down yeah. these two. So, yeah, so okay. five yeah. grams at E3 and taking two tabs at DragCon. Yeah. Two very different experiences. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, yeah. But the sure. second thing that I see that's really interesting is that in both cases, you self-isolated in dark and environments to experience just the visual effect of it which is basically what you're focused on now coming to understand that visual phenomenon associated with that and so this is just like really interesting to me because these are um two ways i would never recommend someone take psychedelics <laughs> their first two times unless you wanted to become one of the world's leading scholars on exactly, a specific yeah. area of study yeah. uh, could go either way though yeah Unless you want to yeah. earn the respect of all three of us hosts here, uh, you wouldn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's the thing, guys. It's difficult for me to recommend the path that I attended to get to science. You know, it's it's difficult. You know, I've even been invited to speak at elementary and like high schools about stuff, and I I I, I can't realistically tell kids what these teachers think that I should tell them. Yeah. What I would say, and this is the reason why I haven't been invited back to these things, I would say that, look, guys, you're in a high school. Give your teachers the illusion of power. Just graduate. <laughs> get out of here. Every person that you're friends with, you really are going to be friends with in the next three or four years. Go to college. Do a bunch of drugs. Read a lot of books and just do the best you can. That's what I would say. Dare didn't want to invite you on for that talk. Yeah, no, there's not going to give me this, the um, travel stipend to go to uh, school. They're not going to let you carry the briefcase of drugs to show the kids. <laughs> yeah, which was always incredible to 
see. Like when I was a kid, I'm like, wow, this guy has a lot of drugs. Like I know the plug. I'm good. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> that dude is the plug. That cop is the plug. Like it's really good to know what all these drugs look like now. Thank you. Yeah, like I identified most of the drugs based on what this dare officer told me they were. <laughs> So I uh, graduated with two uh, bachelors, one in religion, one in psychology with honors. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, I don't want to go to work. Uh, so I went to graduate school. Common move. Common move, yeah. Like, but what's the work stuff? <laughs> so I went, <laughs> I went to the University of South Wales mm. in the UK. So right underneath England. They speak Welsh there. And also shrooms grow everywhere in Wales. Mm -hmm. uh, literally mm -hmm. everywhere in Wales. It's all pastures and stuff, right? Yeah. All giant pastures, open hills. Lots of rain. Lots of rain. The perfect temperature around like October, November. Actually, around this time, actually, is when the shrooms grow. Let's go to Wales, everyone. <laughs> Let's go to Wales. Liberty caps. Liberty caps everywhere. I'll tell you, hey, guys, if anyone out there wants to go to the University of South Wales, at their Pontypridd campus, if you go behind the campus to those hills and just keep on walking up, <laughs> You'll find <laughs> literally like bags worth of shrooms just growing. Bring like two huge plastic bags because in a half hour, those bags oh, are going to be overflowing with shrooms. We're going to have to rush to get this episode out so it can be out in time for mushroom season. <laughs> yes, I advise everybody. You know, and the cool thing about that is that around this time when I was in graduate school, we would have a group of people from different countries, from like Germany, Italy, France, and their English wasn't the best. But we all understood this idea of we are going to be going up to get shrooms. We all <laughs> understood this. So, like, the pursuit of the actual trip itself brought us together, you know, which is very interesting to have that. And so what were you studying at Wales, exactly? Yeah, so I got my master's in Wales, and my thesis was uh, the film as a hallucinogen, the schizophrenic experience of technology. So essentially, I propose that the way tech communicates with us is the same way that psychedelics can also communicate with us. I also suggest that, for example, the entire experience of film, cinema, scientifically, with the actual visual cortex, we are being excited, we're being frightened, we're having our brain augmented, modulated through photons of light of things that aren't even there. And so I go deep in that, uh, you know, lots of like neuroscience stuff. I uh, even put a little bit of Terrence McKenna in there as well, because why the heck not? That guy ekes his way into everything. Yeah, you know, you have to throw him in there because he's definitely a you know absolute legend. Totally. And guys, I will never, ever say anything bad about Terrence McKenna. He laid the foundation. He laid the curiosity for myself. I will say that listening back on all of his lectures, like History Ends in Green, all these classic lectures, he does does have a certain antagonism towards science, mm. but it doesn't even matter because what he's saying is way richer than the like things that he gets wrong or the beef with scientists. It's perfectly fine. I don't care about that. I remember him talking about how like the world was going to end in 2012. Time wave zero. Time wave zero. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah. I remember he was saying something at a talk once where he was like, and even if I'm wrong by a thousand years, it's not that much. And, and that always <laughs> yeah. just seemed like such a talk. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, come at me with whatever science you want. I don't really care if it's wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. To be fair, when I was in the Netherlands for this thing called ICPR, which is like a big, fantastic conference, I saw Paul Stamets do the same thing where he kind of like disparaged science. But I mean, he was ripped apart in the uh, Q&A by oh, actual right. scientists. Yeah, they had to end that Q&A early, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So ICPR is the most sciencey psychedelic science conference ever. It happens every two years. It's in Harlem, which is not Harlem that you guys have over there, but the Harlem that we have over here mm-hmm. by uh, Amsterdam. Harlem, mm-hmm. H-A-A-R-L-E, mm-hmm. beautiful place. But yeah, he started his presentation by like really talking crap about like neuroscientists. Like, why did he even do that? I have no idea. But in the Q&A, he got torn up because they they actually looked at his own research and how his research is not that scientifically validated when it comes to the actual design of the research, like for his Stamets stacks. And I'm not going to get too deep into it. If he wants to talk to me about it, like I will talk to him. We'll have you on the podcast together. We'll have you duel it out. No, for sure. Microdose debate. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I I will love that debate. But also, also, do want to say that he's... freaking legend and you don't disrespect legends at least you shouldn't disrespect legends you can be critical of legends like yeah that's the important distinction yes and i want to say that paul samus is a legend what you know he shouldn't have tried to attack scientists in his presentation at icpr but anyways after that i'm like okay what am i going to do i don't want to go to work i wanted to wait to get my phd for a bit take some time and relax so I left Wales and then I moved to LA. Oh, so that's that's yeah. when you moved back to the States? <laughs> yeah. I left Wales. I moved back to the States, LA, Los Angeles, crashed with my friends, her and her girlfriend's sofa for like a month. They didn't want me to leave. I'm like, I got to leave. I got to find my own place. <laughs> but I partied hard. I partied hard in LA. But as I'm partying, I start to write for High Times magazine, mm. which is like pretty, you know, tremendous because I used to read that as a kid, like, oh, High Times, like mm-hmm. all this week. Yeah. And then writing for High Times, I got the attention of Snoop Dogg. <laughs> then we produced that show together, Super High Score. So let me just go into how that happened. Well, I did nine grams with Mike Tyson. Yeah. I did 12 <laughs> grams with Julia yeah, White. Yeah, so that is validated. Logical progression. Yeah. So I'm writing for High Times. I'm putting out, I think, some good stuff, getting published. Like I'm buying my High Times issue, and I'm like opening up, like, hey, that's my name. Oh, that's great. Feeling pretty good. And then on Twitter, I received a DM from his company, Mary Jane. And they like asked that they like, wanted to do some like video content. I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not? You know? And they're like, yeah, why don't you come to our uh, office and meet the whole team? You could talk about the idea that we like, you know, want to like work on. I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not? I go up to the place. There's a little waiting desk. I'm like, yeah, I'm here. Zeus the power. They're like, oh, they're like, I'm like, okay, cool. You know, pretty decent, like office, nothing too crazy. There's like a giant cannabis leaf on the front. It's not like what you would think mm. something owned by him would be like pretty office And I'm fully expecting to just talk to some like suits and execs just like, you know, hey, like, hey, 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 hello, my, my name is whatever, Pulse, whatever. <laughs> and I get to the room, open the door, and I see Snoop Dogg and Seth Rogan. Oh, what? <laughs> sitting down, talking, laughing. Seth's rolling and joint, just talking. They don't even like recognize my existence. They're just talking, laughing. Seth's like, ah. <laughs> Snoop's like, they're just chilling, like constant stream of smoke. And I'm like, the first thing I think about is, yo, Zeus, don't geek out. Dude, like, don't be like, oh my gosh. Like, just don't do that. Whatever you do, just don't do that. So 
I sit down, Seth Rogen, Snoop Dogg, don't even look in my direction. They're just zoned in talking, 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 talking. And I sit down, heart thumping, because now I realize, bro, Zeus, you're going to have to present your idea in front of all these people. So now I'm tripping, like, yo, I got to present my idea in front of these guys. Yeah. As I'm not like panicking, but like trying to get my like head together, a huge blunt gets passed in my direction. And you gotta. I you have gotta. to. I have to. <laughs> I can't turn it down. I have to hit this blunt. And I have to hit this blunt in a way that's impressive. I can't cough. <laughs> and then function after. Yeah. Most yeah. important blunt of your life. <laughs> yeah. So like now I'm thinking like I have to number one hit this blunt hard. Inhale. Have a cool exhale. Not cough. <laughs> And then take a second hit because it's puff puff pass. Of course, of course. And be as cool as possible. Contemplating whether it's worth trying to blow O's or not. Yeah. Because you're like, if I fail, I'm just going to look dumb. <laughs> inhale. High risk. High risk, yeah. high reward. That's right. Yeah. yeah, very high risk, high reward. So uh, smoking. And then as I'm uh, smoking, Seth gets up. He's like, all right, see you later. He just like walks out. He kind of like waves at me. I'm like, oh, I'll see you later. Take this like second hit. I pass it. And the second I pass it, mm. Snoop's like, okay, what do you have? <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Well, uh, well, um, <laughs> I'm like, to So I just presented an idea where I, I wanted to talk about psychedelics, the science behind them on his platform. And he's very interested in like my background, how I went to double majored in graduate school, all this stuff. And then he talked about my high time stuff that he like, you know, I guess he was like informed about, which is kind of cool. And he's like, okay, well, this sounds like something that could happen, but you have to do everything that you're talking about. If you're talking about LSD, you have to do LSD, shrooms, whatever it is. But if you do like, you know, 5,000 MG of cannabis or whatever it is, you have to do it. And like on camera, is that what he means? Like also, on like you have camera, to... on camera. Yeah. And so like at this point, one of the attorneys that was there chimed and he's like, well, actually, uh, <laughs> you know, before this, I could even finish the sit and Snoop's like, hell man, chill, chill, man, chill, chill. That's a great Snoop Dogg impression, by the yeah. way. <laughs> He's like, like, no, man. So then I actually brought up that Vice had video of their people doing LSD, doing shrooms on YouTube, and they and it hasn't been pulled off. Therefore, mm -hmm. we should also be doing uh, these drugs. So I was just trying to get the gig. I'm just like, yo, whatever mm -hmm. it is, if Steve wants to do it, I'll, I'll do it. So yeah. Well, and I can't imagine you were like too bummed out by him being like, you have to do drugs. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, I guess Snoop Dogg, I will do drugs <laughs> on your show. <laughs> I was prepared for it. Yeah, I was totally like you know ready for it. I was ready for it. So so yeah, I think that's when he sort of like understood that I was down to make this content, make this content great. So long story short, I wrote some articles for them. Then we did the first video. We did like seven videos total. You could actually see all this stuff on super high score on YouTube. So do we have time? Can I talk about these? Yeah, yeah. yeah we have as much time as you okay, want. Okay, cool, cool. So one of the videos that everyone loves to like talk about is the time I did LSD at RuPaul's DragCon, which was amazing. I got to say that I've been a fan of the show since the second season. Laganja Astrange is one of my favorite queens out there. I yes. love the show. <laughs> I've been friends with her for a very long time. She's from uh, Texas also. Mm -hmm. Very, very cool. All right. LSD DragCon. How does that even happen? So, so okay. Let me just tell you, to do LSD, that is the like easy part. <laughs> okay. Just dropping LSD is the easy part. This infused cannabis joint is also the easy part. You know, it's just, and just take it and inhale. Now, once I get inside of DragCon, that's where it gets interesting. Literally, like within 
It was probably the fastest come up of LSU that I ever had. <laughs> and keep in mind, it isn't just myself at RuPaul's DragCon tripping. It's an entire camera crew. It's an entire right. audio crew with the boom mics walking around. There's there's a person carrying the wire so that the people don't trip over it. So th there's a whole team of people that I have to be conscious of. And I'm holding this thing in my hand that I have to continue to talk into, which I'm like, <laughs> why am I doing this? So. I think the single thing that really just took me by surprise from this experience was the sheer reflective colors that these queens mm -hmm. had, like the actual dresses and the outfits. They're super reflective. Mm -hmm. And just the sheer light bouncing off of these costumes and these outfits. I've never experienced visuals like that. It was very yeah. primal visuals because it was literally like a person with a disco ball with a laser light constantly like, look, 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 yeah. look, 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 look. I definitely felt that, especially with yeah. the combo of weed and LSD. It kind of yeah. makes the air like mm. thick with color. Like yeah. it's like you're underwater in color. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the thing is, is that I couldn't just like walk around. I had to like talk to people, you know, that, that's mm. the whole point. The Sounds interaction. Like the hardest job in the world. And those queens want yeah. to be on camera. Also. Oh, for sure. Like, yeah. They yeah. want to be on camera. So yeah, these queens see an entire camera. They're like, yo, talk to me right here, right here, right here. <laughs> so you can see all these interviews in the video, but here's, here's, the, here's the crazy part that I'm like, oh my gosh. So as I'm like interviewing these queens, their outfits are just immaculate, just sparkling. And every, almost every interview, I talk about the light reflecting off of their outfits. And then I say something like, I just want to play with the light from your outfit. And they would always say, oh, you want to play with me? And I'm like, whoa, whoa not play with you. I just want to play with the light. And so like, I w it was very flattering to go to DragCon on LSD. I'm literally just talking about the light bouncing off their outfits. And they're like, oh, you want to see the light bounce off my outfit? I'm like, no. I'm really talking about the light. You're like, I'm tripping so hard I, right now. And I can't tell any person that. Like, the whole thing is I can't tell people that I'm tripping. But there's one person that I told that I'm tripping, and that was Laganja Astranja. Because, mm. first off, Laganja at Dracon line down the entire room. Like a straight-up celebrity. So I had to give her the heads up so that I could skip that whole line and just talk to her for a quick interview. And I did that at the peak of my entire experience. Mm -hmm. And she completely understood everything. She sort of like carried this interview because <laughs> she saw that I was like, at the point where I'm just blown away by everything. I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. She's like, Zeus, 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 okay. Bring it back, bring it back. Bring, bring it back, bring, bring it back, bring it back. But at that point, we each took a um, cannabis gummy edible also on camera with- Dude, his, yeah. what? So, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Shortly after that, you can see it in the video. Yeah. I like get to the side of this entire conference. And I'm like, look, if you think you could do this, then you try to do it. And I just like laugh because it was so difficult. All this stuff is so difficult. I'm like, if you think you could do this, then please try to do this. Yeah. Um, but at the end, you know, wrap up the entire thing. They like wanted me to sort of talk about this experience. And I like kind of broke down mm. because like, I think the first thing I said as I'm, I'm kind of still like on uh, LSD at that time, but the first thing I said was like, you can't be for cannabis and psychedelics and then be against LGBTQIA+. You can't. It's mm -hmm. impossible. Those yeah. two ideas are incompatible. Mm -hmm. And I kind of broke down because... Like, I don't know, it was it was difficult for me because I couldn't process the fact that a group of people were getting 
treated unfairly by another group of people that i don't know it's, it's too emotional like i don't want to talk about it right now but yeah it, it was difficult it was a difficult uh sort of breakdown of of that experience well you had just been like surrounded by all the energy and emotion <sighs> of that place too and you're like emotionally raw while you're yeah. in it. and it's like you know anyone who's ever been to like a pride fest or even just a drag night at a club you can feel that energy mm. of like solidarity it's mm. just there and yeah. so yeah i i see how that could be like really hard i was wondering like when you're in like that narrator mode mm. and you're in reporter mode even mm. while you're tripping do you feel like you're able to be like i'm zeus the reporter and then do you feel like mm. when you got out was when you were first like processing the actual psychedelic trip that you had while you were in there or uh no, no? i was literally <laughs> tripping the entire way there were so many things that were just cut from the entire episode <laughs> like the whole idea of holding something in my hand to talk to i was like why am i holding this like robot <laughs> in my hand like I need to throw it out it's all like this deleted footage of you talking with your hands at your side yeah <laughs> and then, yeah so that that was the sort of background of that video and that that one was nice because a lot of people watched it yeah. it was retweeted by like rupaul and snoop retweeted it it was a good shared video was that your latest video with them have you done some since yeah i haven't done stuff with Snoop Dogg uh, since the pandemic. Mm. It's been a while. I did some stuff with Double Blind, which I still do mm. in the um, website slash publication. But no, I, you know, I, I should probably reach out to those guys again because we had some fun times. High times, I talk to them almost all the time. They all like retweet some of my stuff or put it on their Instagram, all of my, you know, psychedelic science yeah. stuff. Well, if you ever want to do a collab, we can uh, do a mm -hmm. podcast on four grams of shrooms. <laughs> <laughs> Gosh. Yeah, you see, that's the thing. It's like at this point, like the university wouldn't like that, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've gone too They're legit. Like, we need grant yeah. money. I yeah, know. exactly. Like <laughs> they're like researchers just got around to being able to say they've done drugs. Yeah, <laughs> baby steps. So, how does that experience? Being in DragCon and like being in this really heightened emotional mm. space compared to going to something like E3, which is oh. like not as emotional, <sighs> but definitely visually stimulating in a different way. <laughs> yeah. So I also did this episode where I took five grams of shrooms at E3 and I did it in front of the actual LA Convention Center. Cops were walking in front of this LA convention center, and I'm trying to be cool in video when I have a full video. There's like a whole scene where you're like eating them out of the bag. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, first off, I had to do that like six times to pull them out of my back pocket and do the perfect unfold and everything. And I'm doing yeah. this, and I'm like, guys, there's cops around here. Like, what am I doing? <laughs> this is like, what the fuck are we doing? Yeah, like, let's hurry up and get this shot, you know? The attorney suggested that I put it in like some type of candy or um, chocolate or whatever and do it. But then I'm like, no, nah, because if I eat chocolate, people aren't going to actually believe that I ate you gotta shrooms. You got to see the shrooms. Exactly. Exactly. And so fought a little bit with them there. And then Snoop had my back. And of course, I just ate shrooms in the middle. The attorneys just come on. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, making my job impossible. Yeah. <laughs> but they said that if I did get arrested or detained, that they would pay for my bill. Thank God. Which is, yeah, good. But the whole goal is like not to get arrested. Like, I don't, you know. Yeah. yeah. I love the idea of referring to like a fine and bail is my bill. My bill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, my bill. My yeah. check at the end my of the, the meal. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Part of the job. Part of the job, yeah. So yeah, I did the shrooms right in front of the LA Convention Center. And once again, an entire crew just followed me around. Shout out to Cynthia Vance, a fantastic director and producer. She's the person who put together the whole team for me. Fantastic videographer.
So E3 is like a corporate masturbation party, you know? Okay, it's, you're really selling it. <laughs> it's like, you know, gaming companies, Eidos, Activision, all these companies, you would think that they're pretty cool because they're making great games like Battlefield and Call of Duty. But like, in actuality, the people behind these games and the execs, they're pretty freaking square. They're, they're pretty boring. Yeah. You know, their social skills aren't the best. It's really a very awesome. <laughs> awkward place to have an interaction or a conversation. You try to have a conversation and these people are like referring to what they should say because they're under NDA and they can't reveal too much. Like the polar opposite of the drag Polar opposite, yeah. But fortunately in that episode, I told two people that I was on streams beforehand. I told this one development company that made this game called Deliver Us the Moon. They're based in Amsterdam actually. Mm. But I told them that I'm going to be on shrooms uh, and they played an amazing trick on me. I sort of like waited until I was up. I didn't want to come up while I was at E3. I wanted to like take it. So I like walked around for a bit. There was all these different expos outside people with cosplay, all this stuff. So then I was coming up and I'm like, okay, I go there. They're like, hey, Zeus. And they like playing their game. We're talking. They have these like weird, like blue astronaut suits because there's, you know, <laughs> games about like space and everything, all this cool stuff. So they were talking and I am playing their game and I am like walking in this spaceship and I see the moon and I'm walking. I'm, I'm completely tripping. I'm completely tripping right now. As I'm playing the game, I'm coming up even higher and even higher and even higher. Having that same kind of experience with the Rig Veda where you're just in it. Oh, like... yeah, for sure. Yeah, you can. <laughs> In the video, I'm like, guys, I'm in this game. I'm in this game. And I'm getting deep inside the game. And they're talking to me. They're holding the microphone at this point. They're like interviewing me. And I'm just like in this game. And they're thinking to themselves, like, this is amazing footage, right? So I play the little intro that they have. And I'm like, guys, this is incredible. This is amazing. And then they're like, good, good. And I kind of see them like looking behind me. And I look behind me. And there is the entire Xbox promotional team, entire video team. They were filming the entire thing. <laughs> Lights right in my face. The entire Xbox team is there, like professional cameras and like rigs and all this stuff, cranes and everything. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like I am tripping. And I don't say that. You know, I don't want to give it away. I'm like, wow, guys, this is an amazing experience. Like, wow. And they're like, ha, oh, they're like laughing a little bit. So I'm walking around and I'm, I'm coming up and yeah, it's corporate, but the fun part of E3 isn't playing the upcoming Zelda or Call of Duty or Gears of War, whatever's coming up. Cause that you have to wait in line. You have to do all this stuff. The fun part of E3 is the indie Cade area is like what it's called. They basically assign a place in E3 for upcoming developers that can't afford to have their whole booth there, you know? So so they give places to people that are great developers, but they just don't have that corporate cash. Mm -hmm. So there was this other person that I talked to on Shul. He had this beautiful tent, a giant tent in E3. And inside the tent, it was covered in tapestries. And it had pillows. And he had this VR thing. And he's like, come on in. I told him that I'm going to be on shrooms because I had to set up everything because it was like, you know, slots. You had to do the slots and get the slide in. 
So a go-in tripping on shrooms inside VR for the first time. This was in 2017. This was really the beginning of my entire research. Truly inspired my research. This is the big bang of your research. <laughs> this is the big bang. To be on shrooms while inside VR. It was way more emotional than mm -hmm. what I thought it would be. I thought it'd just be like a cool, fun thing to see like shapes alter and everything. But there's something, you know, and I was talking to this professor today about this exact same thing. It's so wild that this happened today. But there's something about being inside VR when you're tripping. Mm. It isn't a task-oriented thing. You don't have mm. to shoot a gun or find something. You just exist mm. in this world. And you can explore. You can walk around to exist in a virtualized reality while you're on shrooms or any sort of serotonergic agonist or even an innovative antagonist. This is a theory that I have. You tend to find significance in things that aren't meant to be significant. Mm, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah, and that's called parodelia, I believe, parodelia. what it's called. Oh, where you find patterns where they don't exist? Yeah, or you find significance in yeah. visual ambiguity. Is this like, like I've had, I think of them as revelations on psychedelics, mm. but uh, I usually kind of keep them to myself because they're not really profound. The profound thing is that like I've accepted and believe it. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> thinking like I deserve happiness or something like that. It's something that's not not a profound thought but like when you have it on psychedelics it feels like it's super profound and then that can help you to kind of like incorporate it more into your life yeah so it could be that but this specifically is based on visual information oh, okay, gotcha. visual ambiguity like wow the bark on that tree is so Got thick it. it looks like okay, a face yeah. there you go Rowan. exactly it looks like a face or this carpet looks like the infrastructure to the nyc <laughs> train station whatever you know yeah 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 but to find visual significance and visual Visual ambiguity is a very peculiar thing that happens when a person trips. But it seems like this happens quite often when a person is inside VR. My theory of this is that when you're inside VR, everything you see was built with intention. Mm -hmm. It was constructed. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess you could do randomization of environments, but still, it's placed there for a person to see. Whereas if you're in a forest, yeah, you could find visual ambiguity in like a pat, like a block of leaves or something for sure. But those trees weren't placed there for you. Though you might think that might be the case. Well, yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and of course, that could be sort of a deeper thing. And that happens quite often, you know, you find significance. But for some reason, it happens at a higher degree when you're in VR. That happened to me. I, I, I found significance in this cave I was walking in, and I walked into this river, and the river was beautiful and meaningful, and the sky was, oh, it was just, so, there was something about it. So, like, that experience really was, like, sort of the beginning of the path of my interest or my research, I guess, inside VR and psychedelics and the brain. I mean, in a way, it's like an extension of your thesis, though, isn't it? Like, VR is like a more immersive movie totally. in a lot of ways it's really interesting to think like this is your beginning of the experience with vr but you've been working on this your whole time 100 <laughs> percent, yeah no you're absolutely correct you know it's this fascination with the ability that tech has for us to see things that aren't there and then mm. psychedelics which really if you think about it is a pharmacological virtualization of your environment you, know? you can mm -hmm. augment your environment 
DMT, you just replace your entire environment. So really, you're working on the same technology, mm. if you think about it. But one is sort of built on a pharmacological sense, and it's very dose-dependent, meaning you have to take a lot to have this very visual scale heightened, whereas VR, it's just you put it on your head, and then you have this visual experience. So both of those things are very parallel, and I'm sure this is going to be the next question. Why do I have this obsession? Why am I so focused on the visual aspects of psychedelics? Well, it's a very complex answer, but I'll give you a very simplified version of this complex answer. So there's a thing called enriched environment, and it's a thing that was discovered in the 50s, I believe, by Charles Hebb. He's a Canadian neuroscientist, and he discovered, first off, what is enriched environment? So he had lab rats. You know, of course, he was doing research, and you know, the whole idea of lab rats doing testing and all this, right? And we understand science based on lab rats, and shout out to all the lab rats that had to die for us to understand science. Hundreds of millions at this Hundreds point. Hundreds of millions, shut yeah. out. <laughs> but he actually had lab rats. He just brought some home because he's like, oh, these are nice pets. I'll just keep them here, you know? And he's like, oh, well, since they're here, let me just make a little environment for them. A cool little, like, play room with some balls and some colorful things and everything. So they can enjoy themselves, but I'm going to bring them into the lab and then we're going to use them to test, you know? So he found that the lab rats that were in their little playpen in this very relaxed, colorful area would perform better or differently than the lab rats that were in this sort of cage that was very white, very sterile, very basic. Under fluorescent lighting. Fluorescent lighting, no sort of stimulation. Stainless steel table. Yeah. 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 And he discovered that, wait, these lab rats that are in an enriched environment perform better or differently, depending on the test, than the ones that were in the lab. So he's like, wow, this is amazing. So he looked at that and he discovered that a lot of our really, this is what it is. It's the idea of setting. This idea that if you modulate your environment while you're doing drugs, it could actually have an effect on where the drug takes you. Doing five grams of shrooms at a party after going to yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a weird setting. Yeah, I don't advise that for anybody. But it's called enriched environment. And for a very long time, it was only applied to like animal research. So they would say, oh, well, if we put these rats in an area where they have the balls and the, you know, the little uh, spinny wheel and colorful things and fun stuff, they would actually have a different result. So this is a very animal centric thing. And then around 2004, this guy, uh, I forgot his name, he made this VR thing called Snow World. It's basically a Arctic landscape with like snow and ice and there's like snowmen, there's penguins and all this stuff. Very cold place, you know, snow is falling. And he actually put people that were veterans dealing with treatments of, of being burned, which is a very painful thing, you know, a very painful mm -hmm. thing to, mm -hmm. to treat burn wounds on your body. But he found that when he put these people inside this very cold, icy environment, that you enrich the environment, then the pain that they felt was reduced. Or a better way to describe it, they had a higher tolerance to pain based solely on the environment that they were mm. in. So this is very interesting when this came out, like mind-blowing stuff. 
So then people were like, okay, well, what if we just take the sort of VR aspect out of it and we have people that were recovering from strokes? Let's not put them in sort of a clinical setting. Let's put them in like a fun setting with colorful like walls, with iPads, with things to do, with stimulation. And they found that the patients that were in this enriched environment recovered faster than the ones that were in this very clinical environment. So now it's like, hold up, this is incredible. So all this snow world, yes. Fantastic. Hunter Hoffman. Hunter Hoffman. Hunter Hoffman. Yeah. Amazing. Hunter Hoffman. Thank you. Yes. Hell yeah. And look, and that's 2004. That's old VR. Old, old VR. Old <laughs> VR. So yeah. that right there tells us, Rowan, that number one, the brain can be easily tricked with VR that isn't even good. <laughs> that, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So that shows that it's pretty easy to trick the brain into believing that something is real in a very like low quality uh, janky way this is this is before the oculus or this is like giant ridiculous headsets you know so that right there changed the game because then people realize that if you put a person in an enriched environment they recover better now let's skip ahead to the idea of setting of course you understand if you put a person in the right setting that they have a very intense trip but that isn't even the most important part what's more important i believe the single most important part is the subjective experience the actual visual experience to have your entire environment enriched in ways that are too sophisticated for us to understand meaning we don't have a scientific explanation why we see walls ripple, why we see tables turn colors, why we see visual augmentations. Why we see giant men in the sky. Why we see giant men in the sky. Why we see DMT elves or whatever you want to call it. We don't understand why this happens. Scientifically, we do not have an explanation. There are There's three fantastic theories, but we do not have an explanation. However, there's two things that we should understand about having a visual trip. Number one, it's a version of an enriched environment. Number two, that the intensity of a visual trip correlates with the reported benefits a person gets from psychedelics. Essentially, the higher intensity of the trip, the sort of higher beneficial properties of the psychedelic. So isn't that interesting? Hmm. That's fascinating. That makes me think a bit too, like I wonder if a lot of these old religions have kind of used a similar principle, you know, like when you go into a church and they all have that very carefully designed layout or, Mm. you know, Buddhism has similar or like a Zen garden is kind of designed to make you get into the state of mind that helps you achieve whatever you're there for like the geometric shapes in islam as well mm. like that kind of fractal focus mm. in the imagery mm-hmm. totally yeah and it's all very carefully designed yeah for that purpose yes actually i want you guys everyone out everyone listening this book I believe it's called African Fractals, written by Ron A. Glosh, I believe his name was. But it's, it's it's a book that looks at the like fractal quality of not only art, but infrastructure, tools. And he discovers that like these fractals were beyond just aesthetics. It's actually computational stuff, computational mm. things mm. that are being represented in art, because that was the only way that you could actually represent these computational formulas were in art. You didn't have a you know math book. You didn't have a textbook. This is the way that these ancient people represented presented their understanding of the fractal nature of art, algebra, geometry, like all this stuff. This is a very ancient understanding of our fractal world and and our fractal uh, universe. But yeah, that's the reason why I'm very into the visual aspect of psychedelics, because there is something there that we have not Mm. identified, but it seems to be very, 
very, very apparent. Also, one quick thing before we go to the next topic. So I'm not sure if you guys have heard me talk about this, but the idea of like tripping if you're blind. I think I remember. Didn't you do a video on that at one point? I did a video on that, and I think I may have put it in one of my articles, like very briefly. Mm -hmm. But I have a paper coming out about it. I wish I could just give me the paper. Just put it right in front of you. <laughs> it's being peer reviewed right now, and uh, which is good because it hasn't been rejected. It's, uh, and, and it's in a very big journal that is way bigger than what I thought it would be in. I can't tell you what it is, but it's like. It's but awesome. when it comes out, looking forward to that. I, I will 100% send it to you. I promise. Before I even tell anybody on Twitter, I'll send you a DM. Oh, perfect. <laughs> well, we gotta have you back on to talk about it whenever. Oh, it's for sure. And then we'll talk yeah. about the crazy stuff that I was talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, exactly. Okay. So okay, so the idea to be born blind, you know, you haven't ever experienced the glow of the sunrise or the luminescence of a night sky, you know, to be born blind means that you have never experienced visual information at all. You haven't even experienced darkness because even darkness is a color. Mm -hmm. You can only yeah. experience darkness if you've seen the opposite of darkness, right? Yeah, that's a great way to bring it down. So what happens when a person that's congenitally blind, which born blind, what happens when, when they do something like LSD? A substance that is quantified by the visual aspect, what happens? I literally can't even imagine. <laughs> yes. So I'll tell you, a person that's born blind, if they do LSD or even like psilocybin, they have zero visual trips. Really? None. However, this is where it gets interesting. So you guys understand the idea of LSD. You guys you guys have probably taken LSD before. Maybe you haven't. I don't know. But people have. Uh, their... Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> so you understand that if you take a really big dose of LSD, there's this quality where your face just sort of melts. There's a whole face melting property where your shifts or changes. That's why you say don't look at yourself because you'll see some wild stuff, you know? It's a sort of classic thing. So that's just a very distinct property of LSD. Now, with people that are congenitally blind, they don't see, obviously, but in order for them to, to like, see a face, they touch a face. They to see the sort of fine details, the eyes, the mouth, the nose, and they can sort of recognize who that is, who a person is, right? So when this person, and this is actually from a paper by Sarah Del Arba, uh, a case report came out in 2018, I believe. Fantastic scientist, by the way. But when this person that was born blind took LSD and touched the face of his friend, a very familiar person, he found that the person's face, the eyes, the nose, the mouth were jumbled, almost like hmm. they were melting off their face. Like a tactile what? melting sensation or yeah, yeah. So you have the That's same amazing. trip being experienced by two different sensory modalities, vision and touch. Like, isn't that interesting? That's, that's crazy. it. Yeah, that's it right there. Boom. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I have all these papers like in my head. Like, it's just all right here. But yeah, yeah please this is read. wild. I'd never heard of this before. Yeah, it's a fantastic that paper. So 2018, I called it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that interesting? But Here's one other thing that is the most interesting thing, one of the most puzzling thing, and there's no explanation for it, is that in the blind community, people that are born blind, pe people that haven't experienced vision at, at all, which is a pretty substantial population, the rate of maladaptive behaviors like psychosis, schizophrenia, depression, mania, are surprisingly, significantly low, if not non-existent. I didn't yes, know that. Yes, significantly know low, like to mm. the point where it's almost hardly ever seen. Do you think it's like a removal of a visual setting? Here's what I think. I, I think that just the act of seeing, it does something to our understanding of our humanly constructed world that we're in. The mm -hmm. act of seeing something, like not touching, not spatially being around it, but seeing something. 
does something. Don't look at things like good or bad. Don't yeah. look at things like psychosis as a bad thing. Don't look at schizophrenia as a bad thing. It's a condition. And, and, and don't call these things disorders. There's no one in this planet is disordered at all. We just have conditions. <laughs> you know, yeah. if you have psychosis or, or stuff like, like that gonna get a lot of crap but psychedelics in very acute doses it's a very psychotic experience it ju it, ju it just is it just is like totally i mean is. it totally is yeah. like i mean and you know i'm sure you've probably seen people have bad trips or challenging trips on psychedelics so there's yeah. something about vision that makes a person have a condition like psychosis witnessing the cosmic horror <laughs> yeah like oh yeah yeah, yeah. And yeah. so there's something there and i don't know what it is i, I mean i'm sure if i have enough time I, I will get down to the bottom of it or someone else will based on my research in the future but yeah. i can tell you that i tackled this entire concept in my paper that's being peer-reviewed right now which i can share share with you guys but Damn uh it. yeah well, i know i feel like the well, other thing that's really interesting about that too is that it shows that closed eye visuals are still probably ocular then is that what that means ah, ah you brought up an excellent point excellent point excellent point i'll say it three times excellent point <laughs> so this okay for example everyone here close your eyes okay now put your hand in front of your eyes and wave your hand you see your hand right as you close your mm -hmm. eyes you see your hand blocking the sort of light right mm -hmm. yeah the reason why is because yeah justin was in it yeah but Justin's just, having a psychedelic experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I'm but, actually on five grams of mushrooms right now, guys. Well, you're doing <laughs> very, very well. You're doing very well. So when we close our eyes, it's, we don't see dark. It's actually a color called Ein Grau. E-I-N-E-G-R-A-U, which is derived from a German term, which is like, like close to darkness, basically. Ein Grau. Mm. So that's the color that we see. And most of that is based on light penetrating the our eyelids actually the perception of seeing inside of our eyelids is actually to see the veins and all this and of course there's things like um have you heard of bio photons? No. So biophotonic light is the wildest thing ever. And it's something is that, that like light that we produce? Yes, it's or... light that we produce. Okay. Biophotonic <laughs> light is light that we produce. And apparently, you know, there's a lot of data showing that we have this, right? But this idea is a little bit theoretical, but I, I still think there may be something there. So the idea of closing our eyes and seeing our eyelids, perhaps we're seeing biophotonic light as well, which mm. makes us not see the full-on darkness that you would anticipate darkness to be. Is that the same when it's like nighttime and we have eye shades on? Like, we're we still seeing like a less than black black? Yeah, if you close your eyes and then you put on an eye shade, you know, the sort of night wear or whatever. Yeah, like to the, totally block out all the light. Yeah, then, I mean, you're approaching closer to darkness for sure, but it's still not. You'll complete. never truly get there. No, you would have to, other... you'd have to, yeah, you'd have to sever your optic nerve probably to experience true darkness. Eye and grab. There you go. See? There you go. Oh, oh. wow. Yeah. Very close. Yeah. Huh. Very, very, close. very close. Yeah. And so the idea is is that this color, this sort of um, off black, you know, not fully darkness, when we trip that our brain takes this sort of color and makes it into something and then biophotons and, you know, the, the light, the sort of penetrating light of our eyes. But let me say this about closed eye visual. And my opinion on closed eye visuals changed about a month ago. And the reason why oh, it changed... Is a, this is a hot new exclusive. This, 
relationships yeah, oh, that are sure. exclusive. Completely hot news. <laughs> but I haven't tweeted about this yet. Which is, which I haven't wrote about it or anything. Um, matter of fact, I didn't even put this in my paper that is being peer reviewed. I'm putting it in my second paper, but I'll tell you guys what it is with this idea. So close eye visuals, Google psychedelic therapy, and you will mm-hmm. find a picture of a person lying on a couch with their eyes closed, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's just the sort of classic person on the couch, eyes covered, occluded is what is officially called. That's how therapy is applied. This idea of closed eye visuals. And the reason why is because this guy stands off grove. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> you can see like a, a few, yeah. See how like, almost everyone has, yeah. See eyes closed, eyes closed right there on the couch. Right. So the reason why is because this guy stands love grove, which is like a fantastic therapist, you know, all this stuff. That's basically his idea of that is the reason why people do this. The whole field of psychedelic therapy is still based off of what he's been doing. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm not a therapist. I'm a neuroscientist. You know, I'm not trying to get into the therapist game. And I believe that to be true. I believe closed eye visuals were the way to go until last month. And the reason why my entire <laughs> idea changed is because I was in Berlin, Germany, and I went to this thing called Insight. And I uh, had a panel on psychedelics and creativity at Insight. Great panel. But that was the first. The, the best thing about being at conferences is you always want to do your thing on the first day because you want to just chill for the rest of the time. You want to just mm-hmm. be on whatever. Not thinking about your upcoming talk or whatever. You don't want to be like on the final day stressing out about your talk. You want to just get it out the way and then chill for the rest. So I always ask yeah. to be the first. So anyone out there, boom. And that's for everybody. Everyone here, and perhaps you're going to be invited to speak at a panel. Be the first person. Just get mm-hmm. it out the way. And then you can just chill and relax the rest of the time. So I was in Berlin for Insight, chilling. I spoke the first day. Great. I looked great. I had on a great outfit, by the way. I did it on Twitter or X or whatever it's called. But so the, the final day, I'm sitting there chilling, relaxing, you know, like wrapping up the whole thing, right? There were maybe three or four talks left. And I had a friend from the University of Wisconsin. She went on and listened to her. And I'm just, you know, taking pictures of her for Instagram. You know, she needs some pictures. I'm the only person taking pictures, taking pictures, yada, yada. And I'm just sitting, I'm sitting there chilling. And then this other guy gets up. And it's like a wild looking dude. Like, he's a wild looking dude. Like straight up, like hair everywhere, shirt sort of kind of unbuttoned, button, all just everywhere. I'm like, okay, this guy's going to be interesting, you know? Okay. Matt genius energy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> something, something's about to go down. So I keep my seat. I think he's the last person on the second day. And there's a third day too. But he's the last person on the second day. But I'm, I'm listening to this guy and then he, he talks about this paper that I read about a few months before uh, this research that he did in Portugal. This guy is David Glowacki is his name. David Glowacki. He's a, he's a physicist. He's not a neuroscientist. not a psychopath. Oncologist, dude's a physicist. And he was hiking in like Chile, I believe it was, and fell down a cliff. And he like hurt himself severely hurt himself. And he had an NDE, near-death experience, where he remembers being on his back and looking up. Everything was dark. And he saw this glowing light pulsating, getting bigger and getting smaller, bigger and getting smaller. That's all he saw. And he said it was synced with his heart. And then he saw it slow down. And he's like, no, I can't have this thing slow down. I have to keep this light going. So he, he said he consciously kept this light pulsating. And he did that until the rescue team found him, brought him up, you know, gurney, helicoptered out, recovered, took a long time to recover, a long time to recover. But in this time of recovery, he coded this entire VR experience because he's a freaking physicist. He's like, I'm just going to make this. <laughs> so he made this group VR experience. So I'm not sure if you've all been in VR, but there's all these sort of like VR experiences where a person has a VR headset on and then someone else has their headset on and you see like a person's body. Usually it's like a stupid cartoon, like, you know, <laughs> but the person's 
body is a very corporal, solid thing. And you see the arms, you see the shoulders. And that right there creates a sort of separation. Even though there is no tangible physicalness to it, you see a person's body and you have the belief that that person is tangible. He said, I'm going to change that. So what he did is he built this beautiful VR thing where a person's body wasn't tangible, but it was like a cloud. Did they still have like a face or a head or anything? No, no. The whole body? The whole body was like a cloud. You can see like, not even see the arm, but you can see where your arms are based on where this sort of like amorphous cloud is. Mm, right. Kind of like the entity that you saw on your experience, honestly. <laughs> How interesting is that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very like amorphous, like weird entity. So he, he built this thing and he had people in this group VR and he saw that, you know, when a person would get close to someone else, you wouldn't approach a person. You would become the person, merge with the person. Mm. Your cloud of existence would go to their cloud of existence. Interesting. Very interesting stuff. So interesting that this paper was like, this VR experience is similar to the psychedelic experience, basically. So this paper, when it came out, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is incredible. It was the top 100 papers published in Frontiers, I believe, or um, Nature oh, Magazine. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just found it. I've, found I've it? seen this before. I haven't really like read through it but i've come exactly so you probably see yeah yeah david glowacki this is it right here oh. this was published last year so it's sort of simulating the like border loss the borderlessness of the yeah the ego attention yeah the kind of interconnectedness with everything else right. you're kind of losing that right boundary physical right. boundary of your body right right yeah which is crazy um person who wow. i was talking to today tobias he came to the, um he came here to like talk and to hang out as we talked about some research we're going to be doing some can't tell you guys but he he was here mm -hmm. we were talking he's a traveling scientist from Germany, from I think Mannheim. But he mm. was a person in that actual experiment. Mm. He was an actual subject. Okay. And wow. he told me after the experience, he actually cried. It was emotional. Yeah. It was supremely emotional. So anyways, fast forward to Berlin. That's the person who's in front of me talking. And I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, I just read your paper. I, I didn't say this, but I'm like, oh my gosh, dude, this is the guy right here. This is the freaking guy. So he's talking, he's talking, he's talking. And I'm like, oh my gosh. All right, all right, all right, all right just dropping fire. He's saying stuff like, mm -hmm. like, like all psychedelic VR is BS. It's, it's all garbage. And there's like artists inside of this room. He's just dropping fire. Like, he, I mean, just, he just, doesn't give a shit. Doesn't give a shit. Just, just, just telling, just it, like telling it, is. it is. Saying all this stuff, just going like wild. And, and I'm like, all right, I respect this. Like this guy has some really wild stuff. So he's talking and he has some really good points about VR and what should happen and how we should present people visual information in a VR setting as opposed to building a VR setting, you show them things, exactly what I'm doing. And I'm like, bro, I got to talk to this guy. Yeah. And I'm next to my friend, Alina, who's also a scientist here. And we're talking, he's like, oh, this guy's, you should talk to him. I'm like, yeah, I am going to talk to him. So, you know, after a person talks, you know, there's a whole like group of people that sort of like hover around the person because they all want to ask them mm -hmm. questions. I don't want to be that guy, you know? So I, I, I wait <laughs> a little bit, I wait a little bit. And then uh, I'm hanging out around him. And then Matthew Johnson, you know, Matthew Johnson, the guy with the big beard from Johns Hopkins mm -hmm. University, the scientist guy, he's like yo yeah. zeus what's up and i'm like hey what's <laughs> up man and we talk we talk in and then like um david sees that he's like oh how do you know uh, zeus and i'm like oh zeus and i go way back man we're, we're partying <laughs> in florida i'm like oh this is great thank you matthew for me great, great intro great, yeah, yeah great yeah. intro right yeah. so we talk and then i'm talking about like you know what i'm doing and master university and how we can actually get people psychedelics here he couldn't do that and he's like oh this is amazing this is fantastic so we're like okay you know what let's talk at the after party because we're talking for a long time and you know guys 
uh, I don't want to get too deep into it, but a, a party in Berlin. I'm not sure if, if any of you have partied in Berlin. <laughs> so beforehand, listen, I've partied in like Los Angeles and Dubai and Singapore and like Brooklyn, New York, everywhere. All of those places pale in comparison to partying <laughs> in Berlin. I've yeah. never in my entire life experienced partying like that. It's like a historic party town too, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> like, it's, it's been for many, many decades. <laughs> to the point where where there are places, there are clubs that, that you know, you uh, go into where you have to take your phone and cover up your camera on your phone because you can't take pictures. Yeah, yeah like you, and, and you can get like in trouble, thrown out by even removing the tape that they put on your phone. Mm. It's like sealed and everything. They sealed it, like they like um, sign it and everything. What happens in Berlin stays in Berlin. Basically, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. So anyways, fast forward to like, you know, 1 a.m., uh, I see um, David there, Glowacki, and I can tell that we're both enjoying lots of <laughs> things that we've been given. Let's just well, I wonder say what that. kind of things would be a psychedelic conference after yeah, party. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so we're just talking about booze, I guess. Yeah. Booze and, and, and uh, wine, fine, fine wine. But but we're we're there, and that's like one a.m. and we're talking, we're talking, we're talking, and we're talking, you know. And then it's two a.m. and it's three a.m. and then we're like, yo, let's go to a different club. And we're and at this time we're talking about research, and he wants me to come out to Santiago to talk about VR. We're, ta- we're, ta- we're getting so deep and we're talking, we're talking. And then we go to this second club called the Blue Cat. Blaue Cat is what it's called, I believe. Or I'm not sure what cat is in German, but Blaue is blue in German. Anyways, Blue Cat. Even bigger club popping at 3 a.m. Next door! Next door! That's the official after after party. Everyone's there. Everyone's there. All the scientists, all the uh, speakers, everyone's there. They're already there. We're already late. It's 3 a.m. Now we're over there and it's 3 a.m. Then 4 a.m., 5 a.m., 6 a.m., 7 a.m., we're still dancing. Academics go hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure, yeah, definitely. <laughs> 7 a.m., we're still dancing. Still dancing. Everyone is still having fun. In this entire time, we're talking about physics, psychedelics, neuroscience, hemodynamic brain responses of psychedelics, just all of these wild, complex things. Just, but we're, just we're, we're also feeling good, I should say that. Anyways, <laughs> at like 8 a.m., we hop on a scooter, two little kick scooters things, and we're cruising around Berlin going to a third club. <laughs> While wow. we're talking about physics and psychedelics, we get to the third club and like it's there's a long line to get in. It's 8.30 a.m. <laughs> on a Sunday. <laughs> on a, and this place is open from Thursday to Tuesday. And it doesn't it, <laughs> it doesn't close at all. It's called Berlin. Well, but I assume, I assume Sunday at 8.30 it converts to a church briefly. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah just sure. a little bit, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and then the at twelve thirty, it converts back. That's your yeah. programming. A, a, yeah, a, a church with a bunch of guys wearing like leather chaps. And, yeah, that type of shit. Uh, but needless to say, we didn't even get in because we weren't dressed appropriately. We we didn't have enough leather on, I guess. <laughs> uh, but but anyways, it's like you know eight thirty a.m., nine a.m., and we're just sitting talking about these ideas. Anyways, we get to close eye visuals at like eight thirty a.m., nine a.m., and he's like, you know what? The crazy thing about therapy, psychedelic therapy, is that all psychedelic therapy, we close off an entire sensory modality, Mm. vision, and then we give people psychedelics. Why would we take that away from a person, but we don't take away the auditory? Mm. There's like a playlist that people play. But why are we trying to direct the trip via auditory, but we're closing off the vision?
visual. There's no real reason. Such a visual experience on its own. When it's a visual experience. But we're using audio instead, yeah. Yeah. Isn't the idea that it tries to help you go into yourself, though? That's what Stanislav Rov, I'm messing up his name, that's what he says, that when you close your eyes, it helps you go within. But does it? I Uh, mean, I don't know. You know, like, I mean. I mean, you saw that entity in the sky and that launched your whole journey. So it's like, you know, would you have seen that if your eyes were closed? Would you have like felt that kind of experience? That's a really good point. Yeah. It's really interesting. To think about it, like, why is that the, you know, common understanding of psychedelic therapy is we close the eyes, but we keep other sensory modalities like hearing open. And then we try to control a visual experience with auditory information. Mm, Like, it's it's like weird to do that. So he's like, no, you don't do that. Because we exist in a very visual world, you know? That's how Mm -hmm. we see our world. Very rarely do we have our eyes closed and we're still awake. Like, think about it. When do you have your eyes closed and you're still awake? Only when I can't sleep. Only when you can't sleep. Yeah, exactly. Very rarely. So why are we relying so heavily on this very awkward and unrealistic scenario when we should actually open vision and then perhaps try to do what we do with audio and shift the actual experience. And that's what you're doing, basically. Yes. So if you're trying to create like a calming environment by playing calming music, you would pair it with a calming visual apparatus, like a a garden or a beach or something. Is that kind of the idea? If that's what you're trying to control for? (laughs) That could be an idea, for sure. Or it could be something else, like perhaps the idea isn't to necessarily virtualize your entire environment, Mm -hmm. but have a person in a setting that's established, you know, but then have an augmentation of this reality with things like virtualizations of objects, Mm. you know, shifts in color tones and hues of, of, of established things in your environment or introduce new things into your environment or maybe virtualize parts of it. Yeah. No, this is huge. I mean, like I even, I had a buddy of mine who wanted to try mushrooms for the first time. And so I like had him take it a couple times on his own. And then when he was comfortable, he was like, Hey, I think I'd like for you to kind of like join me. And so we like did mushrooms together and I took a lower dose than he did. And I was just kind of like, you know, I was sitting, I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not a shaman, so I'm not going to try and like act like one. But there was like this point that he talked about later where like, I had kind of just like sat and was meditating for a while and then I got up and I realized that like all the windows were closed and stuff so I just like opened the blinds and like lit some Palo Santo incense and was like going throughout the apartment and like making it smell nice and he was telling me later on that it really opened his eyes to how much just changing his environment can change his whole like outlook and mood because you know he's just like sitting in a chair this is like the first time he's taken a large dose of mushrooms so he's mostly like not moving at all (laughs) and definitely not talking to me he can't really say much but you know i i'm like looking over and i see that he's like got a smile so i'm like he's good and and then you know after i opened it up it was kind of like this moment where he was just kind of like looking around Mm. and i kind of like noticed that but i was like all right cool and then later he he was like i never really thought about like how big of a difference before Mm. something like opening the windows Mm. or making my apartment smell nice Mm. would make and Mm. you know when you add in like the visual element of being able to augment that with anything you want too that's huge it's a version of an enriched environment Mm -hmm. and we've already seen that scientifically be established to have Mm -hmm. a person increase their pain threshold to be able to handle a higher pain tolerance not based on a pill not based Mm -hmm. on an injection but based on just their environment do you understand 
to cause a cascade of processes to have a person withstand a higher amount of pain without any pharmacological intervention. Yeah. Based on a shitty 3D yeah, VR based on a world. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> uh, so we have to really open up this domain of visual information and visual acuity and stuff. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. Thank you for taking us on that journey. I think we managed to get all the way up to present. Yeah. That was a really great way to end it. That really showcases the importance of your work and not only for like psychedelics as a whole, but also for yourself, because that's another big thing, right? Is like, why are you doing this for you? And that's huge. But you know, it's, it's just so cool to get to hear also someone who is researching and is also like, man, I had my mind changed a month ago. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. Yeah. That's just that's great to hear. I really appreciate that a lot too. But thanks so much for for coming on and for walking us through your journey. It's such a phenomenal story. I really appreciate it a lot. Thank you for giving me the platform. Thank you for inviting me on for a second time. I feel very uh, honored to be so far the the only person to, to be invited on. So, so far the only. Great. So far the only. Yeah. Um, yeah. And definitely going to be the first time for a three. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Go, definitely going to have you back soon. Right. Right? So you're um we're going to link your older work your healing maps vids and your stoned gamer stuff and you know all that what are some other good places people can find stuff yeah. that you've worked on so actually very easy very easy go to tapado.com t-i-p-a-d-o.com tapado.com it goes straight to my link tree you can see all of my updated work that's everything every paper every study every video like everything that I've done on psychedelics is on tapado.com tapado.com the most recent updates for everything this is a long scroll I'm gonna it's a long scroll, yeah. Because you've got so much stuff on it. It's a long scroll, yeah. A little, a little subtle, humble flex right there. That that's a long scroll. Uh, but I'm happy it's a long scroll. Yeah, check, yeah, check it out. Go, yeah, so that's that's yeah. Tapato.com. Just go to my link tree. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. You know, let's go, let's go, let's go. <laughs> there you go, there you go, there you go. And then finally, you see that. Also, I want to give a shout out to LRG right here. LRG, this is a, this is going to, I haven't even like announced this yet. But um, LRG is a clothing company. They usually like sponsors skateboarders, hip hop artists, like football players, basketball players. Uh, but I'm the first scientist to ever be sponsored by LRG. That is Hell so yeah. Cool. Uh, yeah, so it's pretty <laughs> awesome. It's it's pretty cool. And uh, so thank you, uh, LRG, for that for the fantastic clothes. Also, I want to give a shout out to the ACLU for this fantastic shirt, which I'm going to show you right now, and then we'll get up. Uh, can you read that? Yeah. The war on drugs, oh, the war on drugs bullshit. is bullshit. I mean, oh, yeah, I so, need that. That is so cool. <laughs> yeah. So they're they're into. I guess they're getting into drugs, which is great. I mean, usually they're into like you know civil equity and stuff. Yeah. It's all tied together. All exactly. They sure. understand. Yeah. yeah. Drugs are just a tool for perpetuating that a lot of times oh, totally yeah right. like the difference between crack and cocaine in the 80s yeah. and the 90s like come on really but mm, but yeah. yeah no but uh once again thank you for everything and uh yeah i can't wait to see this i can't, I can't wait to share this to everybody yeah this has been awesome thank you thanks so much thank you send so us much. that paper too when it's approved oh, yeah definitely. of course dm before anyone else gets it boom awesome perfect oh, yeah. all right Thanks for sticking around for another episode of the Tripsitter Podcast. Make sure to catch up on all of Zeus's current work at tipado.com. That's T-I-P-A-D-O.com. And visit our Substack page for a complete list of the research that we covered in this episode. While you're there, go ahead and subscribe to keep up to date with everything we're doing.
By the way, TripSitter is supported by its fans. If you dig the work we do and want to help us keep doing it, feel free to sign up for a premium subscription on our Substack while you're there. If you aren't in a place to give, leave a review and like and share this podcast to help us get the word out. It really does make a big difference. This episode of the TripSitter podcast was co-hosted by Justin Cook, Rowan Zioli, and Jay Gordon Curtis, who also produces and edits this podcast with help from Ronilo Villamore. Thanks, Ronilo. As always, we'd like to remind you that there's no such thing as a bad drug. They're just chemicals, natural or unnatural, that exist in this world. It's our relationship with them and how we interact with them that makes the difference. Until next time, have a safe trip.